shuttle has arrived. Later, this is an unexpected pleasure. We're honored by your presence. Yo, G, I'll be here to see why your homies ain't working their booties off. I assure you, Lord Vader, my men are working as fast as they can. We be seeing if they get this ride going with six foot seven of black staring down. I tell you, this station will be operational as planned. Well, the man don't think so. And you be cruising down here to check out this ride. The Empress coming here? Yeah, and he gonna put a cap in your white ass. We shall double our efforts. Damn straight. And remember, this be CNN. I'm Franklin, and this is Berkeley Grocks. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. I'm Charles Lee. Coming up on today's show, hormones, diarrhea, and shadows. In addition, we'll be joined by Dana Sobel, who will talk about the planets. Also, we'll find out how hurricanes rotate. So stay tuned for all this, plus the Grokatron 5000 and the world-famous Question of the Week, coming right up here on Berkeley Grocks. Rocks. I'm Frank Lee. And I guess that makes me Charles Lee. How are you doing, Frank? Pretty good here. Dr. Yeah. Frank. And you are Dr. Charles. And we're here to offer doctorly advice. <laughs> you know, I was just wondering, maybe we should get our own situation room. I mean, CNN <laughs> has one, right? Yeah, and what would we have on the situation room? Because there's very rarely any situation in science. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the situation like right now? Well, what is the situation with diarrhea? Diarrhea? Serious affliction, I guess. Yeah, well, it is, actually, and especially in young children. Uh-huh. There's a certain type of virus called rotavirus. Rotavirus. Yes, yeah, so it, it attacks children throughout the world. I think most children get this rotavirus mm-hmm. uh, before they're the age of five. Mm-hmm. And it's the leading cause of death from uh, dehydration and diarrhea. Okay. So for 30 years, researchers have been trying to find a vaccine for this virus. Uh-huh. And it turns out, most recently, they seem to have at least two candidates that are promising. So is this a disease that afflicts mostly children or also in adults as well? Adults might get it as well, but by that time, they've probably built up an immunity to the right. disease. Normally, I guess most children, the effects are mild, but uh-huh. in a select few, they become severely dehydrated and die. Pretty serious. Uh, it's quite interesting, in fact, because uh, back in 1990, there was a uh, vaccine called Rotashield, which uh, was put into use, but it caused a uh, rare kind of intestinal problem in a few patients, so it had to be withdrawn. But the new vaccine, a couple of them, one called Rotarix, uh-huh. and that's manufactured by GlaxoSmithKline, and the other one is called Rototech, and that's from Merck. Okay. And they both have very few side effects, and they've tested this in tens of thousands of children, and it appears to uh, eliminate symptoms in over 85 to 100% of the patients. 
great. Well, I guess by the time my grandchildren come around, there'll no longer be any diarrhea, huh? I would hope not. At least it would be easier to clean up after that. <laughs> you know, you, you get insanity from children. <laughs> so says Mark Twain. Uh, so this is very fascinating work. It was published in the recent edition of the New England Journal of Medicine. So how's your car, Charles? Well, it goes forward anyway. Well, that's like your outlook in life, right? <laughs> Always going forward. Always Don't going look back. Uh, the way I see it, why pay for an extra 1% functionality when most <laughs> of the time you're going forward, right? Does your car still make noises, though? Yeah, most of the time. Like, kill me now. <laughs> Buy another car. So among those noises and, you know, the ambient noise you'd get just from driving, it turns out there could be a solution to that. Mm. By putting a bunch of vibrating buttons around the car, you could cancel out the external and even the internal noise from your engines. Putting a canceling wave, essentially, to the sound waves that come in. Right. <clears throat> so some Dutch researchers have been trying to build a series of sensors and actuators to be installed into vehicles mm -hmm. to make them virtually silent. Well, so then you can hear all your babies crying in the back. And <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you can cancel that out, too, one of these days. Oh, wow. Maybe people can cancel out the sound of our voices coming through the radio. <laughs> uh, there was not that much content in there anyway. No, it's right? mostly white noise, I think. <laughs> Anyways, this is pretty promising stuff and could probably expect in uh, future cars. And if anyone's interested, it's in the recent edition of New Scientist. So what do you think about your shadow? My shadow? I try to outrun it, but it seems to always catch up to me. Yeah, well, my shadow is always trying to kill me. Wow. <laughs> you have the uh, anti-Peter Pan uh, shadow, huh? <laughs> you know, actually, when I look in the mirror, I think uh, that shadow is the one that scares me the most. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out that, actually, researchers have used the shadow of the moon of Pluto, Charon, mm -hmm. to determine its mass and its uh, composition. Well, that sounds pretty sophisticated. It's a novel use of a shadow, anyway. Uh -huh. Pluto and Charon are the few of the planets that haven't really been studied up close by a spacecraft. Right. So they've had to use a lot of very sophisticated optical techniques to actually determine all these sort of features. And it was quite fortunate because there was a rare event that happened uh, last July that allowed some of the characteristics to be determined. Mm -hmm. So essentially what happened is the moon of Charon occluded a very faint star. Uh -huh. They were basically able to tell based on uh, the pattern of light that was occluded what sort of characteristics they had from Charon. Oh, wow. And among other things, of course, they found that Charon doesn't really have much of an atmosphere. Uh -huh. That's not surprising since it's not very massive, so right. probably couldn't sustain one. But they were able to also pin down a lot of its mass and some of the um, composition, which they said was about 60% rock and 40% ice. So, it's like, what's in my fridge, I guess? <laughs> you have stuff in your fridge? It's all mostly rock and ice. <laughs> So anyway, this is very fascinating because it leads to like theories for how Charon and Pluto were formed, and it seems it's more likely that these were two protoplanets that wind up orbiting around each other rather than a planet where something collided into it and ejected Charon out. Yeah. It almost seems like it could be remnants of a possible comet or something with yeah. so much ice content. Right, right, and especially it's a somewhat eccentric orbit mm -hmm. with respect to the solar plane. So a lot of interesting things about Pluto that people are still interested in. Cool. And this is interesting work. It was reported in a recent edition of Science Now.
So, Charles, do you take up any estrogen? Males actually have some small proportion of estrogen, right? Right, and in fact, it could be critical for our early development, at least. So it turns out with some studies carried out on rats by Julie Baker in Belgium, they've shown is that rats who do not have the AFP, the so-called alpha fetoprotein, were exposed to estrogen during their development and then developed male-like characteristics. So without this protein, which males don't have, the estrogen diffuses in the brain and changes our developmental structure. Yeah, I think uh, there's sort of a complex interplay between both the testosterone and the estrogen that allows right. um, you know, the structure of the brain and also its connections with genitalia to warm properly. Right. And so in humans, there could be something similar called the sex hormone binding globulin, or SHBG, mm-hmm. which could do something. So what these molecules do is they sequester the estrogen. When they do that, then your brain develops more feminine characteristics. Oh, okay. So it looks like we do need estrogen, at least, to get over our first age right. right. development. Is there sort of a similar sort of mechanism that exists with female development? Do they have... Uh, so with females, if they have the uh, AFE, then the estrogen does not pervade into their brain. As a result, they have the uh, characteristics. Okay. So in a development stage, you don't want the estrogen. Okay. So anyways, this shows when and where you want to have your hormones. All right. Well, take them daily. And uh, this was reported in a recent edition of Nature News. And that's all for this week's look at current developments in the world of science and technology. This is Berkeley Grok, you're listening to here on 90.7 FM. In a few moments, Ms. Dana Savell joins us to talk about the planets. So stay tuned. Well, today we have a very special guest, Ms. Deva Sobel, who's going to tell us a little bit about her new book, The Planets. Sobel has previously been a New York Times bestseller for uh, Longitude and Galileo's Daughter. Ms. Sobel, thanks for joining us today on Berkeley Grocks. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on your show. First of all, could you tell us a little bit about uh, your current book and uh, how you got uh, involved in the project? It's a book about the planets, obviously, but for people who are not informed about them Mm -hmm. and maybe not even interested in them. But I hope to change that if that's the case. (laughs) It got started in a few ways. I've just always been interested in the planets. I had a real childhood fascination for them and uh, in childhood and now a second childhood fascination in adulthood and I've been writing about topics related to astronomy since the 70s when I was lucky enough to hear Carl Sagan give a public lecture just before he got really famous Mm -hmm. and that uh, re 
awakened my own interest in astronomy, and I started learning more about it and writing about it and have been doing that since. Um, But the book is also an attempt to tie the planets to the themes by, by which we know them in everyday life. I mean, we trip over them all the time. They're in the names of the days of the week. They come up in science fiction, in mythology, astrology. They're all around us. And I wanted to tell their real stories, the interesting things about them, their their connections to popular culture through those themes. Mm -hmm. So in the book, each planet has a chapter, and each chapter has a different theme and is told in a different voice. In your research, uh, what are some of the interesting findings you uh, came across? Well, starting with the sun, one of the things that struck me, I'd never known this before, the sun accounts for more than 99% of the solar system. All the rest is less than 1%. There's probably a golly gee whiz fact about each planet. I found it extremely interesting how the study of Mars is so centered on the search for life, on the, the indications that the planet was once a watery world, and that it's a place humans might have to go to if we uh, complete the destruction of our own planet. It's probably the only other place that would have us. Oh, I thought they were going to uh, to uh, build a military base or something. <laughs> a military base. I don't know. <laughs> that would probably come first. So let's talk about the largest planet, Jupiter. Um, of course, it's very gaseous and has uh, very little solid ground. Um, you know, what are some of the interesting things about its uh, cloud structure? When, when we look at Jupiter, when you see all the beautiful colored images of the swirling cloud patterns and the red spot, it's all weather. We don't, we don't see anything like a mountain on Jupiter. It's, it's just weather. And that red spot is really a storm system that has been watched continuously for more than a century, and there's no reason for it to stop raging because it's not bumping into a landmass. Our uh, recent disaster here, Hurricane Katrina, got stopped by New Orleans, Mm -hmm. but on Jupiter, it just keeps raging on. And I guess these certainly are not conditions we would want to see here on Earth. No, no. Even even the small, compared to Jupiter, the small effects here on Earth have been devastating enough in recent times. The problem of global warming is due to the greenhouse gases we have here, uh, but on Venus, where it's mostly greenhouse gases since it first had an atmosphere, uh, it's been incredibly hot. Uh, what exactly are the conditions over at Venus? Venus is completely shrouded by thick clouds, sulfuric acid, there's a lot of carbon dioxide, and so the heat that comes in from the sun's light doesn't escape, and the ground's about 900 degrees. It's really uh, a perfect image of, of the way we've thought of hell, and 
Venus is so similar to the Earth in its size and being in the same general region of the solar system. It's a cautionary tale. Just shows us how bad things could get if we're not careful. I don't think I don't think the right people are paying attention to the caution, though. What other inspirational uh, ideas have you uh, come across with uh, this work? Uh, you know, how does it give you more perspective on our own way of life here? I think knowing that our solar system is now not the only one has broadened our perspective of space. And a lot of people have trouble imagining the cosmos, the expansion of the universe. These are very heady concepts. But the other worlds of the solar system seem more familiar, more accessible, and different from the rest of the universe. But in the past 10 years, nearly 200 planets of other stars have been discovered. Mm-hmm. So now we have to look at our solar system again, not as something unusual, but as the first known example of a popular genre. And it makes all the planets even more interesting than they were, because each one stands for an unknown number of others like it elsewhere in space. And that all raises the question again of whether other planets anywhere are inhabited, and if so, by whom? Or by what? When you look at um, science fiction movies, or uh, even you know space-related um, themes in movies, uh, are you amused by some of the uh, ways they portray uh, space today? I I'm more amazed by the way scientists are portrayed. Really, like creatures from outer space, um, people seem to have such a strange idea of what scientists do. Uh, even if they accept that they are real people with emotions, there's there's a, an idea that somehow scientists just go out and discover facts, and the the scientific process itself, I think, is a mystery to most people. The way ideas have to be formed and checked out, you can't just send a spacecraft out in into the solar system, you have to design certain instruments that ask certain questions and gather certain kinds of information. So the knowledge is constantly building on itself. Having, having a notion of, of what one would like to learn is really a prerequisite to learning anything. I don't, frankly, I don't see a lot of movies about space. But I did read a lot of science fiction for mm-hmm. this book. And uh, I really enjoyed some of the classic tales, such as The War of the Worlds. That's a great book. Right. But it's, it's as much about the way larger nations invade smaller nations right on Earth as it is about a hostile invasion by creatures from another planet. It's scary either way you interpret it. You were mentioning, um, you know, questions that scientists ask. Uh, what are some of the unsolved questions that, you know, astronomers are still uh, searching for today? Sure. Well, one of the biggest questions is where did we come from? Why are the planets the way they are? What was the solar system like 
in the very earliest uh, years of its existence. And that's why there's been so much interest in comets, because it's thought that comets haven't changed all that much over time and preserve something of the pristine substance of the solar system, whereas things on Earth have changed tremendously even before we came along Mm -hmm. to accelerate the pace of change, just the, the development of life on the planet and the way the planet rearranges itself through the plate tectonics processes. Uh, a planet like Venus is also tremendously changed since the early days. So um, the origins question is huge. And then the histories of the planet. Did Mars have water? How much did life arise on Mars uh, at the same time as life arose on Earth? Did it start on Mars and somehow travel here? Did it start here and go there? Uh, did it Did it happen on both worlds at once? Those are huge questions. And then the layout of the solar system. I I learned my very educated mother just served us nine pies, but there are lots of variations of that Mm -hmm. mnemonic for remembering the order of the planets out from the sun. But it now seems that the planets didn't always have the positions they have now. There was quite a bit of tumult in the early solar system, and that Jupiter may have started considerably farther out Mm. and moved in, Mm -hmm. and that the small bodies out beyond Neptune, that a lot of them were actually thrown out there by gravitational interactions with the big planets. Mm -hmm. So all sorts of questions, like the dynamics, the chemistry, the history, and maybe even the biology mm-hmm. of the planets. Thank you very much for joining us today. Are there any last words you'd like to add about yourself or your book? Just that I had a great good time writing this, and I hope people enjoy reading it and feel closer to the planets, because you don't need to be an astronomer with a telescope to enjoy them. We can see most of them with the naked eye, and thinking about them is the best way I know to put things in perspective. Great, Ms. Savelle, thanks for joining us on Berkeley Grox today. My pleasure. And we were just talking to Ms. Dana Savelle, author of The Planets. Her book is now available online at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, as well as bookstores around the country. This is Berkeley Grox you're listening to here on 90.7 FM. Coming up, we'll find out how hurricanes rotate plus the Grokotron 5000 and the Question of the Week. So stay right there.
Perfect Rocks. Well, Ms. Seville has kindly agreed to join us on this week's Grokatron 5000, the computer formerly known as Deep Blue. And today's <laughs> game is The Planet. Subject number one, President of the United States, George W. Bush. Which of the nine planets is he? I don't think he's any of them. <laughs> Maybe some uh, a black hole or <laughs> dark matter. <laughs> Hmm. Well, maybe we should make him Pluto because um, Cold his, and his icy. belonging is under is is questioned. <laughs> All right. Um, subject number two: Oprah Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey. Gee, these are tough questions. <laughs> Which planet is she? Venus. Maybe. <laughs> maybe I guess. Both fe- both female anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, subject number three, Donald Rumsfeld. Donald Rumsfeld, Mars. <laughs> the bringer of war, right? Right. <laughs> All right, um, subject number four, uh, Harry Potter, Arthur, J.K. Rowling. Ah, probably Uranus, most, um, most associated with mysticism. I don't think she'd mind that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And finally, subject number five, Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking. I think he'd probably like to be associated with Neptune because Neptune was discovered on paper by some wonderfully serious mathematicians who figured out it had to be there. And they even figured out where it was Mm -hmm. before anybody ever looked at it through a telescope. Okay, oh, great. Neptune for Stephen Hawking. <laughs> well, Mr. Bill, thanks for joining us on this week's Crocatron 5000. This was fun. Yeah, Forrest here with the answer to last week's question of the week. Which way does the hurricanes rotate? Well, in the northern hemisphere, the hurricanes rotate clockwise since it conserves the angle of momentum with respect to the Earth's spin. And that's how hurricanes rotate. All right, then. This is the sponge night of this question of the week. You're, you're coming here and trying to take a bath with me. Well, you can't take a bath if you don't have a sponge. Well, if you know how the sponges are made, you can email us at glocks.mail.com. You're not going to win anything, but you just might be sponge And that's all for this week's edition of Berkeley Crocs. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us at Berkeley Crocs, you can email us at grocks at hotmail.com. For Berkeley Crocs, I'm Frank Wing. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grocks.net. Have a great afternoon and stay tuned for more music.